of. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount here uh, at East Frankfurt, and we find ourselves right in the middle of chapter 6. Actually, we find ourselves concluding uh, a brief section within the book. Um, it, it goes all the way back to chapter 5, where Jesus is addressing that outward sins are a manifestation of inward corruption. And in chapter 6, he, he continues that discussion by saying, outward piety does not necessarily mean inward righteousness. So the Jesus, what matters is the addressing the heart, not merely doing religious things or doing things that look holy and, and spiritual, but rather to be transformed from the inside. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, starting in chapter 6, Jesus has been looking at a few examples, though we can certainly look at many others. So page 853 of your pew Bibles, if you will stand with me out of reverence to God's word, we'll read verses 16 to 18. <clears throat> Matthew, the evangelist, writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Father, I ask, as always, you would open our hearts, we would receive your word, our, our mind, that we would understand it, believe in it is true, our eyes, that we would see your glory and your kingdom, our ears, that we would hear uh, your word, and your mouth, that we would speak the hope that we have in Christ to ourselves, to one another, and to this lost and dying world. Open our hands and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ, transformed by the word we believe, and in the Son we have been redeemed by. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure you're, you are well aware of this, but success requires intentional effort and discipline. If you want to be an athlete, because I, I was a jock growing up, I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to do baseball, basketball, soccer, football, and chess, all of them, all of them. I just would I was going to be like Deion Sanders on, on the uh, uh, you know, on, on the steroids, if you will. But, but if you want to be a great player in sports, that means you have to be in, have intentional effort and discipline to improve your game. This means you have to practice on your own. This means you need to study the game itself, have a high IQ in the sport. It, it means that you're going to stay after practice, get there early, work with coaching staff, and do everything necessary to improve your game. Maybe it's your jump shot. Maybe it's your curveball. Whatever it is, you will be, have intentional effort and discipline. If you want good grades... You nerds out there, what is that going to require? Well, you've got to pay attention to class. You've, you've, you've got to uh, do, make sure you do all of your homework. You, you, you have to do uh, all of those sort of things necessary in order to uh, improve academically. If you want a vibrant marriage, you're going to have to make it a priority. And to make it a priority requires intentional effort and discipline. This will involve regular communication. It will involve dates without children. It will require intentional effort on both your parts for a vibrant marriage. Nothing in life comes easy. Nothing comes easy and nothing comes by accident. If you want it, you will have to work for it. This is especially true when it comes to a growing relationship with Christ. You do not wake up one day and suddenly have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. 
It takes intentional effort and discipline. Many people uh, ask all the time, how can they grow in Jesus and and those sort of things? And and the answers are quite obvious in the Bible. Uh, I would recommend you do precisely what Jesus has been guiding us through for these 18 verses. The, the, The key, the primary means of growing in intimacy with Jesus biblically comes through what we call the spiritual disciplines. Most American evangelicals, unfortunately, assume that an hour or less, if you're lucky, a week in church is sufficient to build a vibrant relationship with Jesus. But just try that in anything else in your life. How would your marriage go if you only spent an hour a week with your spouse? How would your career ambitions go, your academic ambitions go, if you only spent an hour a week, and that hour only when it was convenience? It wouldn't work out too well. The same is true with our spiritual lives. Let me encourage you that if you will put into practice the spiritual disciplines, instead of coming to worship spiritually empty, needing to be rejuvenated, you can come spiritually full, ready to overflow. What would the difference be of a local church and of our lives in general if we came here spiritually full because we've made the necessary investment in the spiritual disciplines throughout the week? The first half of chapter 6, as we've seen, explores the three, three spiritual disciplines, though there are many more, and we'll talk about them this evening. These include charity in the opening four verses, prayer, which we spent about three weeks on, verses 5 uh, to, to 15, and then fasting. Each are different means of, uh, with the same ends, and that is deeper intimacy with Jesus. Charity is an act of sacrificial giving modeled after the cross. Jesus gave his very blood for our benefit and good. So too, we live sacrificial lives in an effort to, for, for, or for the good of others. Prayer is communication with the creator. And so therefore, we don't want to be a performer, Jesus warned us. We want to be earnest. And finally, he gives the example of fasting. Fasting, let's be honest, is the stepchild of the spiritual disciplines. It is the one, particularly we Baptist and our idolatry of Kentucky Fried Chicken, we just don't want to talk about. You can talk about any of the spiritual disciplines. We can spend an hour on the benefits of journaling if you want to. Please do not mention missing a meal. And that is precisely why the Bible includes the discipline uh, of, of fasting. It, at its core, is an act of dependence. Therefore, in our practice of it, we must be sincere. Let's start here in verse 16 with the abuse of fasting. It's abuse. Jesus says there, when you fast, not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces. Their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Here we see immediately the first abuse of fasting, and that is fasting as play actors. Though the Jews were only required to fast once a year, that is on the Day of Atonement, what we now call Yom Kippur, 
uh, fasting had become a type of ritual. In order to show how spiritual uh, these people were, like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and others, what they would do is they added to the requirement of once a year, multiple times a week. In fact, from what we've been able to recover, they would fast twice a week, Luke 18, 12, you want to reference there, but they would choose the second and the fifth day of the week in order to fast. The reason some conclude is because those were the primary market days. Imagine, if you will, everybody here in Frankfurt only went to Kroger on Monday and Friday. And just so happened, uh, that was the day, I, I, every week, twice a week, Mondays and Friday, I let you know on social media, I can't go to Kroger today. I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I just can't go to Kroger. You know, I'll go to Kroger, of course, but I'm going to wear a shirt that says, please don't offer me food. I'm fasting for Jesus. Uh, it's, 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 you can see that, that there's a motivation because the market, the times of market is when everyone came in and started doing all the shopping. You didn't have Amazon at this time. That wouldn't come around until for at least another 10 years. But, but, but you didn't have this. And so this was an opportunity for people to see just how holy and spiritual we were. MacArthur's helpful here. He says, those wanting to call attention to their fasting will put on a gloomy face and neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. They will wear clothes, some Sometimes purposely torn and soiled, disheveled their hair, cover themselves with dirty dirt and ashes, and even use makeup in order to look pale and sickly. This is what Jesus means when he uses the word hypocrites. It is the word for a play actor, an imposter, a pretender, someone whose award is in the acting. It isn't in the act itself. They want you to think better of them. As we talked about when we began this, this discussion of, of the hypocrites, it, it is the, often when we are motivated by seeking the validation of others, it isn't Christ's glory we're seeking, but our own. We want to know that we are accepted by others, approved by others, and that is a real temptation when we choose religion over the gospel. Uh, but, of course, there's an irony here. The irony of fasting is that it is designed to desire one of worldly desires and the flesh. But in going to the marketplace all gloomy and, 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 and dirty, they are actually using the thing to deny themselves the flesh in order to, uh, uh, to do the opposite. Right? It's sort of like when people brag about how humble they are. That's basically what they're doing. You know, uh, what is supposed to uh, uh, draw them away from from, from such things, they're using it as a means to draw from the approval of others. Now, we must say that in condemning these imposters, Jesus is not condemning fasting as a legitimate spiritual practice, despite what most Baptists would prefer. This is actually a real complaint I have about American culture. What you get in American culture is, I had a bad experience in X, therefore the entire institution has to collapse. Uh, this is one of the areas I've seen, particularly with children of divorced parents. As we've seen after generations of, of divorce rising and rising and rising, what you have is a generation saying, I don't want to go through that. Therefore, the problem is not that my parents and their sin uh, robbed them of, of, of a good marriage. Rather, the problem is marriage. I'll never have a falling out with someone I love if I avoid marriage. That's the logic. It doesn't work. We Americans have a tendency of doing things like that. Jesus condemns the practice of fasting. Therefore, he's against it. 
Or, or we had a bad experience in X, therefore we should just throw everything out. And that is not Jesus' point. He is not condemning the practice. He's condemning its abuse. As such, Jesus stands in a long line of prophets who saw the fakeness of religion and called them out for it. Here's Isaiah as it relates to fasting. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. It sounds like Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. If our only motivation is the validation of others, it is a wrong motivation. Our motivation is always intimacy with the Savior and the glory of God. So we see the, uh, the fasting as play acting. Uh, there's another problem here, and that's fasting as formula. Throughout the Bible, fasting is associated with prayer. In fact, you will never find anyone in the Bible fasting without praying. These two always go together. The emphasis is prayer. You'll actually notice here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes charity or almsgiving, prayer, and then fasting because you can't have fasting without prayer biblically. Let me give you just two examples. This is show I'm not making this up. I'm taking it from the Bible, Nehemiah 1. As soon as I heard these words, of course, now uh, Nehemiah is going to lead everyone uh, back to Israel. Uh, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Whenever he discovered that Jerusalem laid in wastes, he responded with prayer and fasting. Uh, Acts 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned through an act of prayer and fasting. Again, to quote MacArthur, in every spiritual account, genuine fasting is linked with prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast biblically without praying. Fasting is an affirmation of intense prayer, a corollary of deep spiritual struggle before God. I suspect the reason many of us do not fast is because many of us do not pray. And we do not pray earnestly. We do not pray fervently. And when we would learn to pray like that, fasting will come rather naturally. So as such, it is tempting for us to see fasting as the secret sauce for answer prayer. And remember what Jesus said about prayer. D don't do it for showmanship. Go into your closet, pray secretly where your Father in heaven sees you. We can do something similar to fasting. Is, is, is we think, okay, I really, really, really need X to happen. I know what I'll do. I'll skip breakfast this morning. I'll skip my afternoon snack when I come home from school or work. I, I won't eat those peanuts I'm hiding in my drawer over at the Capitol that everyone knows about. I won't go by the snack shop. There you go. I won't go to the snack shop over the Capitol. I, I won't do these things. Then, then now God has to answer my prayers. And what happens is we think we can manipulate God rather than pursue God's glory in my life. Prayer shows us that God's final decision is ultimately for our good and his glory. Fasting is not a secret formula for these sort of things. Stop trying to manipulate God. The goal of prayer is not to get from God. It is simply to get God, to grow in intimacy with him. How would you like to have a relationship, a marriage, or any other relationship where everything you did was a form of manipulation? It's not much of a relationship. If everything they did was to manipulate you, not much of a relationship. No, you enter into prayer and fasting to grow closer in intimacy with the Lord. Thirdly, uh, here's, here's the number one abuse I see of fasting, and that is not fasting at all. 
This is where the majority of us will find ourselves on this very subject. Now, I don't want to brag here today. I'm going to share with you how humble I am. I'm going to brag. A few years ago, I went two weeks without food. I fasted for two weeks. Now, I know, I know you've never been that spiritual. It just so happens I had COVID, but I fasted for two weeks. Now, I think my mother fasted, if, if, you, if you count water and I think she had grapes or something for like a month. I mean, she, lost, she lost like 40, 50 pounds. Uh, and I lost about 10 pounds doing that. I still remember I was training. I don't know, this, this is free. I was training for, for a half marathon. I had it like, like the week I got COVID. It was with that weekend I was supposed to go run a half marathon. So Monday I was going to run six miles, right? So I'm, I'm doing my tapering down. And I got three miles. And I thought, man, I am exhausted, you know? And, and, then, and, then, and then the next day, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling too hungry. I know what I'll do. I'll get me something light at Subway. Get me a sandwich. Got me a foot long because I'm a man, okay? And, and, um, um, and, and so I get my foot long, and I can't even finish half a sandwich. I thought, well, I'll just put it in the Frigidaire. I'll eat it later. Something's odd. Something's odd. I didn't eat the thing. I mean, that was like the last thing I ate, uh, when I got COVID, I was trying to keep it away from, from the wife and kids, which was too late. And so I went mom and dad who had it, just so happened to have it at the same time. And, and my dad is, you've met him, um, like the second day I'm down there, dad is so bored he gets up to make cinnamon rolls. Now, we haven't eaten anything. None of us. We're just sleeping and not eating. And he goes, anyone want cinnamon rolls? Like, dad, I, I'm dying. <laughs> I don't want your cinnamon rolls. Now, granted, it's not a bad last meal, but I'm just not in the mood for it. Um, but if we're honest, it is only in moments of illness or maybe something like surgery we ever miss a meal. I had a student when I was a youth pastor who, who lost like 10, 15 pounds. And I said, what's your secret? He goes, I had knee surgery. That's my secret. Right? I just lost my appetite. That is really the only time we even put this in practice. Now, now, let's be honest here. Fasting is a growing trend in America. Why? Because we've discovered there are physical benefits to fasting. It is good that your body works a certain way that helps you lose weight. There are benefits of it. I would call it the leading trend, and I would encourage you to practice intermittent fasting on the physical level. But the reason fasting is found in the Bible is not to help 21st century Americans who eat too much sugar. It's so that we may lose a few pounds. It is there Yes, there's physical benefits, but it is for the spiritual benefits God has given it to us. And I'm guilty of this. I've done intermittent fasting. I've, lo- I've died and lost weight in the past. My motivation is usually for my body and not for my soul. I've robbed it from what it is that God has given it to us. But you see here, Jesus makes it clear. When you fast, therefore we are living in disobedience if we do not practice it. So we saw the abuse of fasting. Let's look quickly at the a proper practice of fasting. In contrast to the impostors, Jesus commands us to fast with proper motivation. The issue here is that of sincerity and a pure heart. What does the Bible say about this subject? Well, first of all, fasting is an expectation. You see it there in chapter 6, verse 16. Repeat in verse 17, when you fast. Notice here, it is an expectation, not law. Law turns it into ritual and religion. It is expectation. If your goal is intimacy with Jesus, that's what you want in life, here is one of the means to do that. Not the, not the primary means, not the only means. It is one of the means associated with prayer. In the Bible, there's a variety of links for fasting. There's no verse telling us how long we should fast. It could be a meal. It could be a week. It could be much longer. Fasting is not a legalistic routine. 
And so what we find in the Bible is variety. One day, part of a day, one night fast, three days fast, seven day fast, 14 day fast, 21 day fast, 40 day fast. Think of Jesus, Elijah, and others. And then there are unspecified links. There's no magic button here. The main thing is the practice, not necessarily the details. Finally, what are some of the reasons? Why should we fast? Maybe you're here today and thinking, I'm awfully hungry. I'll start this evening. Evening will come, you'll say, I'll start in the morning. The morning will come and say, I'll start in the next day. That's sort of the way this works. And the reason is because perhaps you're here today thinking, okay, preacher, I get it. This is in the Bible. I'm going to go do it. And already you've made the mistake. You're doing it out of duty rather than delight. And because food is an idol to most Americans, we, we, we just hope that no one ever mentions and points this out that is in the Bible. Why do people fast in the Bible? Let me give you just four. First of all, uh, as an act of mourning, sorrow, bereavement, and lamentation. First Sam, or 2 Samuel chapter 1, I believe it's after the death of Saul. When they mourn and wept and fast until evening for Saul and Jonathan, his son, for the people. Notice here that, that this was an act of mourning. May, may I just, uh, just, maybe you've experienced this in moments of deep grief. You've realized you've gone an entire day without food. And don't think somehow you're doing fasting wrong. Actually, I, I think that is a means of grace. Because you've, you've been robbed of something. That's why you're grieving. And, and so this becomes a way for us to enhance prayers that, that having lost something really deep and important to me, I must remind myself that I am fully dependent on the Lord. And maybe you have found yourself fasting by accident. Let me encourage you in those moments, don't see them as accidents. See them as opportunities to grow in the Lord. Secondly, protection from danger. We, 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 we see Esther doing this, for example, who, who's going to go in front of the king and no one just walks in unannounced before the king. I mean, we wouldn't do that with the governor. You're certainly not going to do it with a Persian king. Um, and so, so uh, she, she, she's going to do this. She's going to risk her life for her people. And what does she say? I want everyone to fast and pray, protection from danger. A third reason is for repentance. Repentance. Think about David after the sin with Bathsheba, how he spent time fasting in prayer. Think about Joel here, if you want another example, where, where, where God is pleading with the Israelites to, to, to repent, to return with all your heart. And fasting is a means of that because what it is you're expressing that, that what has gotten in the way of my relationship with Christ is my sin. And so as an act of crucifying sin, I will spend time away from worldly pleasures and needs fully depending on the Lord who will save me and he will sustain me. Fasting and prayer becomes a means of repentance. Finally, uh, it is used in the Bible to begin important tasks of ministry. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, uh, we, we read, uh, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you see here that as, as they're launching the elders in these churches, they're asking the church to fast. But let's be honest, church. If we had a moment of crisis, if we wanted to launch a new ministry, if, if something came up and we said, let us as a corporate body fast for three days, how long would the majority of our members do it? Let's be honest, most of our members won't hear the announcement because they haven't been here since COVID. How many of us would practice it? When I lived in Breckenridge County, was serving over six years there, uh, our association did like a pastor's Bible study on Mondays. Loved it. And, and the, the agreement was we're going to meet at noon o'clock. Everyone is to come fasting. It wasn't long before the association realized we got to change this. Everyone come bring your lunch. We already know you're eating before you get here. 
These are preachers, half of whom probably preached on fasting that week. This is a real difficult issue for us, and we wonder why it is, because we're not intentionally putting in the effort of discipline while our spiritual lives falter. Godly fasting is rooted in godly motives accompanied with prayer. God cares more about our inward righteousness than outward ritual. Fasting or prayer or charity must reflect a repentant, humble, righteous heart. What matters most is that spiritual piety be motivated by our desire to grow closer to Jesus. And maybe fasting is one of those areas that the Lord can use in your life to do that. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's reading scripture. Maybe it's meditating on the truth of the gospel. Maybe it's a dozen other things that scripture lays out for us. If we want to grow closer to Christ, we must have intentional effort and discipline. Well, I read a story of a little girl who was very worried about her father. He came home one day and he said to his, his wife and his children that he, he had decided he's going to spend a few days in prayer and fasting. Well, five-year-old girl heard that announcement and she said, you know, Daddy, I, I, I don't want you to do that. I just learned what fasting was and I don't want you to do that because if you don't eat, you'll die. The dad, you know, appreciated her, her concern. She's a sweet little girl. And he says, oh, oh, well, well, honey, don't worry about it. I'm doing it because people in the Bible fasted and prayed. And she thought about it for a while. And she goes, yeah, but daddy, they all died. <laughs> and so it is many of us think something similar when it comes to fasting. That we are looking for any excuse, not just with fasting, but with your spiritual life. We're looking for any excuse to put it on the back burner, to look for a convenient time. If you love the Lord and you want to be closer to Him, have intentional effort in practicing the spiritual disciplines and watch what the Lord will do in your life. So I don't know what your needs are here this morning. I don't know what challenges you have here this morning, but I suspect many of you are here today, and you're here today because you're wanting to grow closer to Jesus. Let me encourage you. First of all, if you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not leave here without doing that. And having done so, I ask that you will leave here with the intentional effort and discipline required to grow closer to Jesus. It won't happen overnight. But over the days, weeks, months, and years, I believe you can look back and say, I may not be the person I ought to be, should be, or could be, but praise the Lord, I am not the person I once was. And the God I knew in 2024 pales in comparison to the God I've grown to love in the years to come. Let that journey begin here and now. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us in this.